There's a song by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper called Shallow. My preacher friend, Becca Messman, says she wanted to hate that song because it takes the two-syllable word shallow and makes it into nine syllables in the sha-la-la-la-la-lo. But it is so dreadfully catchy that she can't help but sing it. The words are, tell me something, boy. Are you tired of trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? And then the chorus, I'm in the deep end. Watch as I dive in. We're far from the shallow now. Longing for something deep and away from the void, Gaga dives into one of the most powerful currents of being human. And that's exactly where Jesus takes Simon Peter in today's text. This story starts with the exhaustion of the shallows, but goes on to describe vocation out in the deep water that is full of life. Our text today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, the first 11 verses as we come to God's word. Will you pray with me? Your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. It's the glue that holds the whole universe together. Your word has come enfleshed among us. It is full of grace and truth. We are creatures of your word, O God. Help us hear it again today. Amen. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the Sea of Galilee and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. Fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It seems to me that the opening scene of this gospel story cuts a little too close to the nerve. Simon, after spending the night on the water fishing, is cleaning nets. Now, that work took hours, 
and yet successful fishing depended on the meticulous activity of keeping the nets clean of corrosives and gunk. Nets had to be clean and mended to be ready for the sun to go down again so the fishermen could get back out on the water. It was a hard way to eke out a living. Simon and his colleagues were cleaning the nets, but they had caught nothing. Makes you wonder, with each barnacle that they extracted to throw back into the sea, did a resentful sigh follow each splash? They were tired, in body and spirit exhausted, empty, there in the shallows staring at a void. Are you there too? Perhaps not experiencing a void of fish, but of productivity or progress. You keep fishing, but the joy isn't there. The meaning elusive, satisfaction slipped away. You keep on tossing out the nets and still the goal isn't reached. It just keeps getting pushed back a little further. You keep climbing into the boat at night, yet the expenses and the expectations never relent and the scales are never balanced. Or maybe it feels as if there is no margin to even clean the nets, because who has time for that? When there are fragile parents and faltering children on either side when it's not just our paid jobs, but our unpaid ones that keep us up at night, when there is emotional work and spiritual work and marriage work and caring for our neighbor's work and caring for our body's work, and it's never done. See what I mean? Luke's gospel, too close to the nerve. I think about this most weekday mornings. The twins bus driver, who gets paid less per hour than the babysitters I use for church meetings. She only shows up about 50% of the time. When I call the transportation director to report this, I hear the exhaustion in her voice too. I wonder if our driver, like her predecessor, has to drive into town from Mebane before her shift while the stars are still out because where can essential workers afford to live in our community? I wonder what kind of empty nets she's holding. It seems that we are weary. So I must confess my trepidation about preaching today. Our scripture this morning is the call of Jesus' first disciples. And we know enough to know that following Christ isn't easy. It leads to uncomfortable risks, unpopular opinions, and uncontrollable futures. A life of discipleship demands much of us. One morning after the bus did come this week, one of my workout buddies was talking about taking up pollinator garden tour hosted by NC State. She was going on and on about milkweed. <laughs> Another buddy said, well, how are the bees? Bees 
are crucial to the health of our planet. And then she said something that just struck me. She said, I've been so worried about guns that I forgot to worry about the bees. I was exhausted from the physical exertion, but I also lagged under the weight of that comment. Can we ever do it all? Are we expected to? Is discipleship really meant to be a never-ending to-do list? Jesus says to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And goodness, I wonder what Simon chose not to say in that moment, having spent the whole night fishing, having finished cleaning his nets, having given up more time forfeiting his nap so Jesus could teach the crowds from his boat. But Simon says, if you say so. Sometimes I wish the Gospels would include little footnotes that instructed us on tone. <laughs> like, is this a, if you say so, a la a 13-year-old with an eye roll? I don't think it is. Just before this text, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had been in Simon's home. And right before Simon's eyes, and at his own request, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And when the news gets out, as the sun went down, people keep showing up to Simon's house, and Jesus keeps laying his hands on them in healing and in blessing. If you say so, perhaps Simon speaks these words as a prayer, hoping that that healing and wholeness may be for him too. And when Jesus instructs Simon to go out in the deep water, it is hard to miss the echo of God's first words to us in Scripture. We have to go back to the very beginning, the very first sentence of the Bible, where the earth is formless and void, and darkness covers the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moves over the water. Deep water, scary voids, and into that, God speaks life and light and all manner of goodness. If you say so, perhaps Simon speaks these words as a memory, trusting that God is in the practice of bringing life and life abundant, fish more than our feeble nets can hold, life more than we know how to contain, meaning more than we know how to explain. And it's completely overwhelming because it's not about our efforts, but about God's grace. And the catch is not a result of our work, but of God's heart. This is, of course, why Simon falls on his knees. Luke's gospel says he blurts out, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. One scholar says this is really, get out of here. As in, I cannot believe this, this is too good to be true. 
but it is true. And Simon is overcome with awe. And what does awe do except right-size us, make us aware of how small we are? Simon says, I am a sinful man. Maybe he thinks he's beyond saving. But that is never the truth. No one is beyond the reach of grace. When Simon says, I am a sinful man, Jesus' next words to him are, do not be afraid. Jesus doesn't dismiss Simon, but calls him to a deeper level of vocation. Vocation comes from the Latin word vocari, which means to call. And in light of this call, maybe Jesus could have said, it actually might be scary, but in the deep, you connect with me. Or you're right, you can't touch out there, but I am right there with you. Or I know you're tired. You do enough. Trust what I can do through you. If I understand the text, Christ's call isn't to do more or do something else. It is a sunburned surrender to the work that God is doing out in the deep. The call is to trust ourselves to that grace out there in the places where we already find ourselves, places where God continues to call forth life and life abundant around us and in spite of us and sometimes through us. Today, after worship, we're going to welcome nearly 20 people into this church family. And I don't know yet what they do to pay their bills. I just know they have them. I don't know how weary they are or if it may feel like they've been holding empty nets. I just know that after the session votes to welcome them, which by the way, they always do, the session will share some spiritual practices for them to take on, like come to worship, find a small group where you can make some friends, live as a steward. But the last one they'll share is to go. Go live as God's child out in the world. And after this scripture lesson, maybe I'll change it to go deep. Go do whatever it is you do out there as one who is called by God. Go do whatever it is that you do as one who expects God to bring life out of the void. Go deep, church. Let down your nets and prepare to be in awe. And if you feel the urge to protest like Simon, insisting that you are too far gone a sinner to be good at doing anything at all, then maybe it's time to float a bit and let those nets cradle you and draw you in to be reminded that you are worthy of being caught up in the power and wonder of our Savior. Go out in the deep water and let down your net, says the Lord.
if you say so.